for the first time ever, I truly felt that I was a child of God, that I really do have divine heritage and divine potential, and that who I am isn't a mistake or a defect or a joke, but that I was created the way I was so that I could help people and reach people. And I, I don't really know how to explain how amazing that was to finally feel that I wasn't broken. You know, that, that there was a purpose for who I am. And it really gave me the trust that moving forward, I could just pray and be like, you know what, God, here I am. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to hold anything back. This is how I feel. This is what I think. What would you have me do with this situation or with myself? Like, how can I serve and build thy kingdom as me? And, uh, and then my life changed. It's funny to me after doing these episodes, you know, I've done 427 previous episodes of the Cultural Hall, and I just think, you know, I know what I'm going to get when I go in to record an episode, right? If I'm speaking with a book author, I know what I'm going to get because I've read part of what the book about is about. If I'm doing an articles of news episode, I think, okay, well, I know what uh, stories are probably going to come up, and it is constant for me that I am surprised. This episode with Charlie Bird, I, th I thought I knew what I was going to get. I thought I knew where the conversation would go, uh, where he has been Cosmo, uh, where he has a book coming out. I thought, yeah, 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 I know where this is going to be. And you know what? I was surprised. And you know what? Positively surprised. And I know that you will be as well. If you're a new listener to The Cultural Hall, thank you for finding us. You can always reach out to us, contact at theculturalhall.com. Find us on all social media. And most importantly, and I mean this, share us with your friends. Share this episode with others so that uh, Charlie's story can be known by others. Let's get to Charlie's story. It's time for another episode of The Cultural Hall, visiting with Charlie Bird. Now, you may not know who that is, but let me give you a little hint. He used to be Cosmo the Cougar. That was my best Cosmo impression. Not that mascots can even talk because they're not supposed to, as you very well know. So from one collegiate mascot to another, welcome into the cultural hall. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. You had no idea that you were dealing with uh, another uh, mascot from uh, a rival college, did you? Really? Yep. Yeah. Well, you're in Thunderbird country right now as you're visiting with Ooh. a former <laughs> Thor the Thunderbird. So oh. watch yourself. Southern Utah University. So I use the term rival fairly loosely because I don't think that SUU and BYU actually compete in literally anything. Gymnastics. Okay. Gymnastics. Yes. I'll tell you a funny story about uh, speaking in the suit. The first, my first event ever was like this, uh, like don't do drugs, kids, elementary assembly thing. And I didn't have much information. You know, I was just kind of like flying by the seat of my pants and uh, they gave me the microphone and told me to growl. <laughs> <laughs> and i did how'd that go <laughs> not well not well afterwards i went back out and my coach was like never ever do that again did did, <laughs> did you learn the proper cougar growl or did you learn to have a sound effect well just in the future i just didn't say anything yeah i i don't actually know where that code began and hopefully we go a lot deeper than whether or not uh, mascots should speak or not within the duration of this interview, but I, but it is an interesting thing. Let me ask you, were you, did you find yourself to be more comfortable with the costume on? Yes. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, definitely. I think it was almost kind of like a superpower for me. I could like do better things. Like I can flip and I can dance, but as soon as I put the costume on, it like enhances my natural abilities Mm -hmm. and you just kind of feel untouchable until you take it off. And then you just like throw up in the corner and have to drink three gallons of water. (laughs) Yeah, they can be certainly, they can certainly be pretty warm. It's interesting though, though, too, because I think within the mascot costume and interesting that we've decided to go here. Um, like to me, I felt like everyone was just kind. Like you'd get the occasional like five or six year old kid who thinks it's really funny to, you know, to punch a kid or to punch a mascot either in the front side or the back side. But for the most part, like people are like, oh, you're the mascot. I'll let you mess up my hair or come and, you know, sit on our row or whatever the thing may be. Yeah. You get away with a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where are you from, Charlie Bird? I grew up in Missouri. Okay. Southwest ranch cows. Is the church. Now, when I think of Missouri, everyone thinks of probably independence and they also think of, oh, man, I got to haul a handcart back there one day. How far away from all that are you? Uh, Like three hours. Okay. So I didn't really grow up around church history sites, but pretty close, I guess, comparatively. A lot of members of the church in your area? Not really. In my graduating class, there were five, including me, so four others. I think think my town, the town I grew up in, had a more concentrated number of members, but in general, the whole area, not really. What was the thought like, oh, BYU is where I go because that's where every young... Latter-day Saint person goes or why why the pilgrimage yeah I think that's just the way to get out you know if you're a member of the church and just wanting to go somewhere else BYU is the natural option yeah parents don't question it they go sure you'll be safe Uh uh-huh yeah did they go to BYU both my parents did actually they meet there yeah okay I've heard of that happening I never knew that it actually took place just had heard of that and so you say yeah I'm I'm, I'm off to Provo did you did you uh, serve a mission and did you serve before you went to Provo or how what, what was that like yeah, I so I submitted my mission papers before they did the age change. So I went to a year and then went on a mission to Redlands, California. Cool. How was that? It's called San Bernardino now. They, they've switched name. I loved it. It was amazing. It was Spanish speaking, ate a lot of great tacos, ran away from a lot of mangy dogs. Yeah. San Bernardino or Redlands is, is what? Like a lot of like uh, like ranching, that kind of stuff? What is it that's there? Um, It's... It's about 60 miles east of Los Angeles. Okay. And so it's like Inland Empire, LA suburbs almost. Okay. A, a lot of it used to be like orange groves, but then it was converted into residential. So yeah. Pretty, pretty good work there going on? Yeah, yeah. I loved it. Honestly, I, I love California. It, it's great. You get you get the call though. You're from Missouri. You're living in Provo, I assume probably when you get the call and it's like California where you're like, yeah, somewhere in the United States and I get to learn a foreign language, but I'm safe. Or were you like, Redlands? Uh, yeah, I, I, it, to be completely honest, as soon as I opened my mission call, I saw that I saw California and I was just frantically scanning for the word Spanish. <laughs> and then I saw Spanish and I was like, all right, we good. But then I'd, I'd taken like eight years of Spanish before and I was just kind of a Spanish nerd. So, so you could so, pretty well bet that you were going to be Spanish, but nothing's ever for sure. I was hoping. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you go uh, fairly successful to find that however you will? My mission? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think actually in, in my upcoming book, I have a chapter where it talks about kind of growing into myself and learning to be okay with who I am. And I use the example of my mission in that because it was really the first time that I started living in accordance to who I am and not based on what society expected from me. And what I mean by that is when, I mean, growing up, I was always trying to do things to like conform to society and like hide that I was gay. Mm -hmm. So I would change the way I spoke or sat or what I talked about and like 
I would just filter a lot, you know, when I developed this list of rules. When I went on my mission, I realized very quickly that I I was I was almost not human, right? I was a missionary. So sure. so no matter what label that people were viewing me as elder bird, right? And so it wasn't like, oh, he's gay or oh he's straight or oh he's too girly. It was just like, oh, that's a missionary. And because of that, I started being myself and not worrying about how people would react. Mm-hmm. And it gave me a lot of confidence and it also taught me how to serve with what I know how to do, right? So I would use the things that um, historically I'd been kind of embarrassed of and kind of convert that into ways to serve people and reach out and bless people. Like what? Like what What were you hiding? Yeah, well, I'm a cake decorator. Okay. So That's uh, all right. This is a safe place to talk about cake decorating. I want you to know. Yeah, I I worked in a bakery in high school and I loved it and I I was good, you know? Yeah. Let me ask you something. Do straight men not like cake? Is that is that the deal? I don't know, but I got made fun of for it, you know? Really? Yeah, I did. And so I started hiding. I didn't tell anyone I did it. And I would, like, when people would come into the bakery that I knew, I would, I would like, slink behind the counter and huh. hide until it left and then keep working. But then again, on my mission, on P-Days, I started making cakes for people if they had a birthday or an anniversary. I did a wedding cake once. And it kind of, like, especially with, like, less active or, or non-member people who just, and, and, you know, a lot of the people I was working with were, had financial struggles. Sure. And, it was just a really cool way that I was able to connect and bring people in and, and make them feel part of the community. And then on top of that, like I don't, just a lot of things like having girly handwriting. I, I was always really aware of the other guys would make fun of my handwriting. Well, because it was legible. That's what I feel like dude handwriting is like, right? <laughs> it's like, listen, yeah. Can you read it? Well, it's a dude, yeah. I guess. <laughs> just designing creativity. But then I would kind of along the lines, I started making uh, like birthday cards and thank you cards um, and just really just trying to help people feel valued and seen through my ability to create. And uh, that, that helped me grow into myself, you know? So let's, able- let's clock the, uh, tick the clock back a little bit then. Like at what point are you like, oh man, uh, different. I feel a little different than like you're saying that girl's cute and I'm not thinking that, or was it even that early? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was even before that ever, like my earliest memories, I always felt very different from other guys. Right. And I've since talked to my mom about it and and she's like, yeah, we always knew you were different, but I'm, I'm the oldest boy in my family. So she didn't have really anything to directly compare that to. Right. And also my parents were just very, they're just good parents. And they're like, Oh, he's different. He's, he's special. He's spectacular in his own way. Didn't really equate it to anything, but I always felt like there was, I was very aware of the fact that I was not like other guys. I wasn't really able to give that a label or figure out what it was until I was uh, 13 or 14. Like, hitting puberty. And then I was, I realized that it was because I was attracted to men mm-hmm. instead of women. And that realization was, it was a weird mix of feelings that kind of crashed in all at the same time. Because I, I think just naturally there's like a, an excitement and like a exhilaration of like feeling attracted to someone. But at the same time, it was coupled with a lot of shame and depression and like a sickening feeling of there's, there's something inherently wrong with me and so i just shelved it you know just just pushed it as far away as i possibly could we're at 13 or 14 what year is that putting you uh seventh grade so eighth grade no but i mean like is it 2000 and what oh oh yeah yeah um probably 2006 all right so we're right coming up we're coming right up on the cusp of like uh uh proposition eight in california right yeah. uh-huh yeah so um 
something worth picking up is props to your parents where they're like, yeah, we just love him. Yeah, he's special. All of our kids are special, right? I think that that's worth noting that yeah. your parents, you know, kind of took that attitude because that's how I feel like all parents should be. Yeah. 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 But then again, no, there was no relation to like me with gay. You know, when you grow up in Missouri in the middle of nowhere, especially in a, a conservative organized religion, gay isn't really an option, you know, right. like. I, I never really identified as gay for so long because I didn't know what it was. It, it just had no, like, I didn't know any gay people and it was like this outside thing. Mm -hmm. So I, I wasn't able to like really relate to that or does that make sense? Yeah, it's yeah, 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 yeah. I think so. I mean, when I think about like my own journey about like understanding homosexuality and I was like, well, I don't even know what that means. And then I was like, if I take a dance class, I'll be gay. And then I was like, okay, this is, this is ridiculous. That's right. not that's not how sexuality works. And then getting to know people and, you know, kind of find, following that path and being like, oh, this is this is how this works. They feel an attraction to, you know, the same sex as they have as where I feel an attraction to a woman. Right. Like it's right. not it's not something that's constructed and they're like, well, I'm choosing, you know, it, it just becomes right. a very natural thing. So you kind of you, you start to go, OK, I, I, I feel like I'm figuring this out. 13, 14, still very much, you know in the church and, and feeling the dichotomy of both joy of being in the church, I would suppose, but also some level of shame being like, oh, I don't know how this is going to work out. Or was there that split thought? Right. Well, my, my initial reaction was just to completely run away from all of my feelings. Right. So um, I was, I mean, I've always loved the church and I've, I've always been a very spiritual person, like connecting with God mm -hmm. is very important to me. And, uh, I didn't really know what to do with it. So I, and I, it was terrifying, you know, it's terrifying to think that there's, that, that you're wrong mm -hmm. or defective. And I, you know, over the years for the next 10 years, since that moment, I, I tried different approaches. Sometimes I would um, just pretend like it wasn't a thing, but it always was, you know, and that, that would come back to me. And there were periods of time when I would fast and pray and just like beg God to change me and take it away. Pray the gay away. Yeah. yeah. And then there were other times when I would look into like psychological exercises and com conversion therapy techniques to try to like change my mind mm -hmm. and, and like rewire my brain. And then finally, the, the approach I ended up kind of like settling into as I got older and none of that was working was just to try to become so homophobic and like fill this idea of being gay with so much disgust that as kind of like a defense mechanism against me accepting who I was. Hmm. And so I, I just became very like hateful and homophobic towards um, the LGBTQ community because I was so terrified that if I showed any sort of interest or acceptance for people who identified as gay, then it would, you know, like catch up to me and then I would be caught with the same struggles, you know. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. But but you found uh, but you found the comfort or the peace in it uh, in, in maybe the. May maybe the strangest of all places, but maybe not the strangest of all places while serving a mission, right? You say, you know, this is where you're like, yes, all right, this is who I am and, and it's glorious and I'm just going to, I'm going to be that. I think that some people listening to this would be like, that's an odd place to really yeah, like come to that piece. Talk about that. Yeah. Well, I think part of it's because it was free from labels. You know, I, I knew I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. I was having spiritual experiences and there was, I never had a doubt of, am I where I'm supposed to be? was serving on mission and so that kind of let me live in this area free of any type of labels or like paranoia or like decision making mm -hmm. 
I'm not sure if I'm explaining this well, but but like and and you know what I I I was convinced that when I came home from my mission, all of my same sex attraction and those feelings would be sealed off. So that's probably another element to why I was like, you know, I, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing now, and I can just be me. And then when I got home, I don't need to worry hmm. because because that'll be done, you know. So I really think that for me, my mission in addition to, you know, like the wonderful service that it was, it was kind of like a pattern that God taught me how to get used to who, to being comfortable with who I am in, in that safe setting so that I would be able to do it a couple years later during some of the most difficult trials and in most, you know, turbulent waters. Hmm. Let, let's, uh, let's take a break and let's talk about uh, when you came home, what that was like. Because I'm, I'm sure there was some difficulty upon coming home, leaving everything that you knew and, and walking into what you wouldn't be able to, uh, to know what was next. Let's take a break. We'll come back and do that in the second block of the Cultural Hall. Hey, this is Dan, the Laptop Man from PC Laptops. Friends, I know a lot of you guys and girls are working from home. So here's some tips for making sure your computer is ready for working at home. Because if your computer fails, it's going to be really hard to get it fixed because of dwindling supply and parts. But we have parts right now, and we have a limited supply of new computers available for you. Make sure your computer is healthy and virus and malware-free. Hackers are trying to infect people and stealing their information during these challenging times. We'll scan the health of your computer for viruses and malware, plus scan your hard drive, memory, and components to make sure you don't have any failing parts. You want to make sure you have strong antivirus and malware protection software as well. Just get into any PC laptops and we'll check your hardware and your software and scan your computer for viruses for absolutely free. Just go to PCLaptops.com. At PC Laptops, we've been serving you for over 28 years and we've got your back during these times of need. We're all in this together. So just go to PCLaptops.com and we'll get you taken care of. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, I want you to feel and envision the dream that I have. A dream where one day I only have one job, and that job is doing the Cultural Hall on the weekly for all of you who are listening. Now, how can you help my dream come true? there is a website. It's called Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash the cultural hall and you can become a Patreon subscriber of the cultural hall. This is a lot of work. I spend a lot of time. I like doing it. But one day, one day I have a vision of not having seven jobs. So please go to patreon.com slash the cultural hall. Remember that if you do become a Patreon subscriber, that you get to be a part of the secret but not sacred Facebook group uh, that all of our Patreon saints are a part of. So Go do that and hope to see you there. Charlie, you come home. You're like, yes, I found a place. I found my place in this world. And then you come home and it's like, oh, I still I still have same sex attraction. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so, so then what? Exactly. Yeah. It, that's what I thought. Like, what What now? Um, you, you know, the moment I, I realized I was still attracted to men after doing literally everything I knew how to do to not be 
Um, and you know, I, I grew up in this in this culture and in this place where you no know, being gay was a choice. There's, you know, like you like I, I was t- like told by people that I could change. Right. Um, and I, I really believed, like I had so much faith that that you know God would change me because I I was like I've I've seen miracles I've felt God perform miracles through me mm-hmm. the last two years and and I I just had like this this almost blind faith in the power of God that that He would just take away that what I considered a burden back mm-hmm. then. Mm-hmm. Um, so the moment that like I realized that I was still attracted to men this entire framework of my life just crumbled and, and, and I, I honestly didn't know what to do. I, I, I didn't have any, um, you know, coping skills. I, I just didn't like my entire vision for my life, just poof, gone. Right. That's scary. And yeah. And, and it kind of, it was terrifying. Like I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know if, if my faith was real or not anymore. Cause you know, so much of my, what I believed about God was, was tied into this, this future, you know, of marrying a woman, having children, serving in the church, you know, like, um, making covenants, which, which is, that's what I thought my life was going to be. Do you feel like it was God's unkept promises or like just anger or like, what was, what was the, uh, what was the interaction? What was the emotion there? You know, I, I can't narrow it down to one. It was it was dynamic and multifaceted and ridiculously confusing. There were there were days when I was really angry and upset at God. There were days when I just felt broken and I wasn't enough. Sometimes that would happen at the same time. It was very confusing. And uh, but in, in the meantime, it also kind of started this faith crisis type of thing because I would go to church and I'd be sitting in in classes where we talk about. Um, you know, eternal marriage and family and the importance of this. And I'm just sitting there like just having huge amounts of anxiety because this thing that I always loved and fit in, I was now just an outcast. I felt alone and isolated and un- unable to connect. And so. Uh, it, it, um, I mean, it's worth sort of noting, like sort of isolated and outcast for a couple of reasons, because one, if you choose, if you end up choosing to, to marry a woman, it's someone that you're not essentially attracted to. And, yeah. and that becomes sort of an unfulfilling life. Two, uh, if you decide to marry uh, a man, then you find yourself not in the church because that, you know, is, is grounds for excommunication. Or three, it becomes this thing where it's like, oh, so I'm going to live a life without love and celibacy because, like, that's like that's how that is. That, that, I mean, that's, that, is a, that is a path that it looks like, well, I, how, where do I go? Where's happiness? Yeah. I'm looking for, I'm looking for a for a path of happy somewhere. Yeah, and and honestly a lot of times it felt like it was just all a big joke and the joke was always on me. Yeah. And and that was really hard to deal with. Um and at the same time I, I came home and I was trying to date still girls and I didn't like it. It made me very uncomfortable. It felt awkward and inappropriate and wrong and it just like what? dishonest or like you just weren't attracted like a waste of time all of it, you know, I, I felt bad for them. I felt bad for me it, in every time someone would try to like move things to the next level and be in an actual relationship, I would just freak out and disappear. Mm-hmm. And then I was like hurting people. I just, I just, I didn't know how to cope with anything that was going on in my life because it all just crashed down immediately. Um, yeah, those, those were some dark times. So how did, uh, how did you deal with it? You mentioned you didn't have coping skills then. 
it sounds to me like somewhere along the way someone came in and said, all right, let's let's start to unpack some of this stuff. Let's start to kind of help you along the path. Yeah. Um, well, the first thing I did w- when I realized that I, um, you know, I, I started wondering if my life was worth it. I, I, I started getting in, in mindsets where I would want to disappear or leave. And occasionally I would, uh, you know, I, I started wishing that I had cancer and that there could, or that I could be in an accident to just remove me from life. Um, and, and I would tell myself, you know, th- this isn't suicidal ideation because I don't want to kill myself, mm-hmm. but I, I just want to die. Yeah. And I, I honestly, I, I just think it was divine inspiration um, I, 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 eh, it's a cool story. I'll just tell it. I was, I was Cosmo at the time and I was working on a, a double full twisting layout, big trick. Um, and I wanted some more technical coaching and the cheer coach told me I could start coming to practice on Tuesday mornings and that she would help me with my tumbling. And, uh, so I woke up early on a Tuesday and, uh, the psychological services department, uh, had, had like scheduled to go talk to the cheer squad that practice about mental health. And I was watching this presentation. I, I was like, Oh man, like who wants to hear from psychological services? <laughs> you know, that was my initial reaction. And I was like, I just want to do this trick. I'm up at five in the morning. I was, I was upset, you know, but I had some friends on the squad. I was like, whatever, I'll just sit through it. I'm awake anyway. And uh, they did this presentation and the last slide was like a list of warning signs um, or I don't know if warning sign is it, but just kind of like if you're experiencing these things, you should think about seeing a professional and getting um, um, like mental health mm-hmm. help. And uh, I looked through the list and I was like, it's me. All, all of these are things I've been experiencing. Um, and so I signed up for therapy and started working with a therapist. And initially I didn't talk about um, my my romantic attractions at all. I was just, you know, well, first of all, I was, I was kind of nervous to, to even bring that up, but I, at the same time, I was like, you know what, I'm dealing with depression and anxiety and, you know, feelings of worthlessness and self-doubt. And I feel like I can't connect to God. And so as we were working through that, um, naturally it kind of started unpacking that I was attracted to men that all of, most of my problems were rooted in, um, feeling like there was no place for me in society. Now, was there hesitancy to share the homosexuality? Because, I mean, this is BYU psychological services, to be clear. So, I mean, that that is a whole, I guess, sort yeah. of additional level of this whole thing. I jumped around a little bit um, until I found a, a counselor that I felt I really vibed well with. Um, and I'd heard him mention that he, he did his um, doctoral thesis on... Is that what it's called? Is it a thesis when you're a doctor? Sure. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a PhD. Yeah. Maybe one day I'll get there. But um, he did studies in um, LGBTQ mental health. That was like his area of expertise. And so I knew he would be safe. Um, and I just, and you know, in the way that I worded things, the, the terminology I was using was not what I'm comfortable with now. You know, so I started out by saying, I'm not always attracted to women. Mm-hmm. You know? And then, then that would kind of allow me to be a little bit more honest when I could say I'm attracted to men. Right. And then I'm predominantly attracted to men. And then I'm only attracted to men, you know, and, and he was very good about meeting me 
where I was and you know mm-hmm. um so 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 you go you you kind of shop around which is typical I think for anyone going to therapy you want to find a therapist that you jive with well that you know understands you and that you relate to and and there's everything like that but you find one that you feel like you can be yourself with and that you're able to discuss and and so you're kind of unpacking some of the like the homosexual things but like really the root of this was this list of like you know depression anxiety suicidal ideation or or you know the other you know dreaming that you could have cancer or a terrible car accident or all these things and probably mm. others that you haven't mentioned that, I mean, that that seems like a huge relief to finally be able to talk to anyone about any of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and so being able so being able to do that, like um, w- what was it that uh, that changed for you? So. I think being able to talk to him and be honest and realize that I was still OK, you know, like I could tell someone what I considered like the scariest, like most disgusting part of me. And to see that when I presented it, he didn't recoil and, and he was just like, okay, you know, and, but let's talk about that. What's that experience like that kind of gave me the permission to be more introspective and, and kind of remove some of these self-imposed or cultural posed, or even sometimes religiously imposed ideas that I had about my identity. Um, so after kind of getting comfortable with that, I, I realized, you know, I, I still did have a lot of faith. I, I come from a legacy of faith and I've always had a very strong belief that um, I have a personal relationship with my heavenly father. And so I was, I started praying about what I should say and who I should say it to, hmm. you know, and um I, I came out to a cousin a couple weeks later. And again, I was met with, with love and acceptance. And where I saw this like broken, unlovable freak, she saw Charlie. Hmm. And then I came out to my sisters and had the same experience of, of people affirming to me that I was worthwhile and had value and that the reason they loved me had nothing to do with my attraction. Um, and then again, I mean, it was tough. So, you know what, I, can I, can I share the first chapter of my book? Cause sure, this, is like, sure. this is like the biggest moment of my life. This was like the fulcrum, the pendulum of, of my existence, because I still, it's funny how you can have like beautiful affirming moments, but then also still revert back to this, the same ideas and the same like crunching of your soul. And that's what I was doing for probably about a year. Mm-hmm. Um, fast forward to to two years later. So I've been home for my mission. I've been to therapy for uh, about a year with no therapy, just struggling in silence about a year with therapy. And now my cousin and two sisters know I um, got an internship in Washington, DC and I moved there over the summer of 2017. And, and still I had avoided gay people at all costs. I had no um, gay friends. I just nothing, you know? Right. And uh, I moved to D.C. and it's June. It's Pride Month in Washington, D.C. <laughs> and, and there are gay people everywhere. And there's there's churches that with giant banners that say all are welcome. And there's rainbow flags. And I'm in this international student house. And there's gay formates on my dorms. And my boss at work at the Department of Congress or Commerce is um, is like I, I report to a gay man. And he has a picture of him and his husband on his desk. And I 
I was like, whoa, <laughs> I'm, I'm stressing out. You know, I, I was, I was freaking out. And, uh, what I noticed, I was like, none of these people are bad. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, these are, these are just normal people. And I, I kept thinking, you know, is are gay people really this are, are they terrible and then i started thinking am i one of them and uh so i'm just watching i'm watching everything and staying out of it um i ended up finding this um e-flyer for a group of members of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints who plan to march in the pride parade and i literally thought it was a joke i was like this is not real this is this is going to be candid camera um but i felt pulled to go and so um, I, I actually like talked to my bishop about it first and I was like, Hey, I think I want to do this. And he was like, yeah, that's fine. Like, He's like, cool. Go. Good. All right. <laughs> cool thing. You're can, going can to- I go back to my family now? Fine. Go to the parade. Fine. <laughs> so, so I went and, uh, and again, like I was confused. I was like, I still don't know what to do because I feel ridiculously pulled this way and I feel pulled the other way. And now I'm meeting these people and they're all nice and good. And I didn't even know this was an option that you could support LGBTQ rights and be a a member of the church. And, uh, and that was the first day I'd ever said the words I'm gay. Hmm. Um, anyway, so I'm just, I'm just freaking out really, you know, cause everything's confusing. And that night I was sitting on the steps of the Capitol over the reflecting pool, watching the sunset just thinking, just like mind on a hundred. And I had this thought that I'd never, I, I thought of James one, five, the scripture, if any of you like wisdom, let him ask of God. And I realized that I had never asked God. Hmm. All of my prayers concerning my orientation had been God, please change me. Like these desperate begging, please for God to change who I was. The, the idea that, a, this is the way I was supposed to be, and B, that that God could teach me what to do with who I am, those, those had never occurred to me. And so I'm sitting there and I think, I've never truly asked for wisdom. I've never asked God if I should accept myself and how to honor who I am. And uh, I ended up um, saying that prayer a couple of weeks later in the Washington, D.C. temple. Um and had the most spiritual experience of my life where I just, I felt God hold me, you know? And, and for the first time ever, I truly felt that I was a child of God, that I really do have divine heritage and divine potential and that who I am isn't a mistake or a defect or a joke, but that I was created the way I was so that I could, help people and reach people. And I I don't really know how to explain how amazing that was to finally feel that I wasn't broken, you know, that, that there was a purpose for who I am. And it really gave me the trust that moving forward, I could just pray and be like, you know what, God, here I am that I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to hold anything back. This is how I feel. This is what I think. What would you have me do? with this situation or with myself, like how can I serve and build thy kingdom as me? And, uh, and then my life changed. Hmm. I I walked out of that temple, a completely different person. And I, all of the fear based living that I'd been doing for 
23 years flipped into this idea of uh, of hope and faith and you know what i I can move forward cool i want to uh pick back up uh in the third block you if i'm doing my math correctly you have to come back to another year at byu after this experience in washington dc and so you have an entirely different year because now you have god affirming you're not broken you're so great, but you come back to where you hadn't been, you know, and I'm air quoting, you hadn't been gay, you hadn't been out, and, and we'll pick that up there. Coming back in the third block of the Cultural Hall. Hey, it's me, Richie T., and I want to talk to you about uh, Kimura Tours. Won't you join me on a church history tour? I would love to be your travel companion. Technically, it will be my wife, but you could be on the bus with us. This is part of our 2021. Yes, we're already talking about something like that uh, for next summer. It was uh, supposed to be this summer. In fact, it was supposed to be like a couple weeks from now. It's not. It has been postponed into 2021 so that church sites will be open. We'll be able to see the Hill Kimura in its final pageantry year and also be able to see Nauvoo as well. Would love for you to come with us. These seats are filling up fast, so please do not put it off. Uh, make sure you go to KimoraTours.org. Kimora, just like it sounds, or like the hill which we talk about in the church. Tours, just like it sounds, uh, only T-O-U-R-S. It's not tours, like we say here in Utah anyway. Uh, KimoraTours.org. Join us uh, and make sure you look for the cultural hall banner we're going of course with the folks from leading saints kurt and the kids uh they'll be along with us as well so make sure that you click on that tour that you go on those dates uh that way we can all be on the bus together the website is kimoratours.org here in the third block of the cultural hall you love this episode i do Man, such a great uh, conversation with Charlie. You can leave us a review by uh, wherever you're getting this episode. There's a place that you can not only subscribe, but also you can say, Charlie Bird, man, that's the greatest interview I've ever listened to ever of the Cultural Hall. Give us five stars and then give us some sort of words of affirmation saying that you love this show. Uh, if you uh, if you don't like this episode, keep that to yourself. The internet has so much trash on it. Just silence that. Just keep that to yourself, all right? We don't need more more filthy negative language out in the ethos just keep that to yourself but leave a review we would love to have you subscribe and listen every week as we have these various conversations here in the cultural hall charlie you come back to byu and now even though you were before but now more than ever you're you're a gay man going to byu yeah i i'm also a senior mm-hmm. i'm also cosmo mm-hmm. and i also have my little brother who moved out with me who i told over the summer um and I had a support system, right? Mm-hmm. So now I, I started telling my friends and I have this group of people that know I'm gay. I feel comfortable. I don't have to hide things and I'm a lot more confident. And uh, I had the best year of my life. Um, so, well, for starters, oh, I don't know which one to tell first. Eh, what, okay. Well, first of all, I... I um, I went back and I started, so now I'm more aware of, of the culture on campus surrounding LGBTQ issues, right? Because mm-hmm. before I had been contributing to a negative culture because I was very loudly opposed to, you know, I was, I was overtly homophobic to try to hide right. that I was gay. And now I'm like, you know, I don't know, like some of the things I was hearing from, from students and occasionally professors, I was like, this is this is hurtful, you know, that, and, and it started affecting me. And I was like, Ooh, 
I don't like to hear that. I don't feel safe when I hear that. Um, I, one time I, I was, one night specifically, I was in the locker room after a game and I was um, changing, I, I showered and I was changing and packing the Cosmo suit. And I heard um, some other athletes across the locker room having this conversation and they were saying some really, really terrible things about gay people and using slurs and I, you know, you know, in the past that would have just pushed me down deeper into hiding um, or maybe I would have even joined in on it as a cover up. But then I was sitting there and I was like, this is me they're talking about, you know, and, and these are these are humans. These are real people. This isn't an us versus them. Like there are gay students on campus at this university. Yep. And uh, I left saying, I'm going to do something about this. I'm, I'm going to use who I am to make positive change. And I ended up um, talking to uh, the athletic director and she got me involved in this initiative, this campus initiative um, to create a safer space and build bridges of understanding for LGBTQ, um, the, the community there. And so just right off the bat, like the first thing I start doing is like advocating in a way that's comfortable for me and, and working with people. And that, that was really amazing. And, and so like BYU and like the BYU administration no longer felt scary. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, these are, these are wonderful people who have my back and are listening to me. And uh, you know, I, I have a lot of people that are like, well, were you, did you always live in fear at BYU because secretly you were gay? And I was like, honestly, no, like, like I would hear things, but the people that I was working with and administrators and like high ranking university officials were really seeking to support and, and change things. Mm-hmm. And so that felt amazing. However, the best thing about it was mission. Charlie was back. You know, this, this person who no longer pretends or hides or lies about who he is, Right. he's back and he's Cosmo. And so I'm sitting there and I was like, I want to be a cougarette. I've always wanted to be a cougarette and I've, I've never danced because like that's girly and that's gay. And I was like, you know what? I'm, it's my senior year. I'm going to dance with cougarettes. And, um, and, and it was just, it was incredible to see how in all aspects of my life, even being Cosmo, that the freedom and liberation that I felt of being honest with myself trans translated in into that and so my senior year um i did dance with the cougarettes and that video went viral in huge millions of video views right well across social media platforms it it has billions of views because people people share it and like repost so i think on youtube there's like seven or eight million but with like different influencer accounts and meme accounts that share it I, I had a tracker on it and I just quit tracking it because it just got so ridiculous. Yeah. I'm um, so popular. It's ridiculous. <laughs> no, I'm no, 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 no. I'm just, <laughs> okay, I'm just giving you a hard time, Charlie. No, but, but it was amazing because the reason I was able to do that and just be me is because I was, I was authentic. You know, I was no longer trying to hide or, or worrying about if what I did would be perceived as too feminine or too gay. I was just like, you know what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to fulfill this role as me. Mm-hmm. and see what happens and it was really beautiful to see how how i was most successful and most able to uplift and entertain people when i was being myself so the interesting thing though is then you graduate right you have this tremendous amount of success as you as you coined the phrase the greatest year 
of your of your entire collegiate, you know, maybe even the best year ever. You're able to have this just amazing year. You graduate. You've you've come into your own, and uh, and and then at some point you decide, you know what? I'm going to tell people that I was Cosmo the Cougar, and also that I'm gay. And now you're writing uh, a book about it. It's called Without the Mask: Coming Out and Coming into God's Light. And you know, this once very shy uh, about his sexuality young man is now like, hey, everybody. And, and that seems to be sort of the mission of your life. So talk about from graduation to where we are today. Yeah. So actually, when I graduated, I made um, two like goals, I guess. One was that I was never going to tell anyone I was Cosmo. Okay. Because I love secret. Yep. And the other one that was that I was never going to come out publicly as gay. Okay. Well, you failed on both of those <laughs> things, Charlie. <laughs> I need to quit making goals. I need to stop goal setting because I never reached them. Yeah. Um, so for two years, I, I got a job in New York City. I was living in Manhattan. Um, I was out to my ward and my bishop. Um, it was great. You know, I felt acceptance. I felt comfortable and happy. Um, I kept looking around. And I didn't see healthy role models, you know, and, and growing up, I never had someone that I could look to and be like, you know what, I, I want to be like this person, um, at least not with my sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would just, I, I, w- I felt happy, but I kept remembering how I used to feel. And I would go to like, um, conferences or, or groups, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, I was at that time, I was pretty involved with like LDS, LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of people who were just, just struggling, you know? And, uh, I really, I just started praying about it and I was like, God, what do you want me to do with who I am? You know, like I'm seeing this problem there. There's people who are, who are depressed and anxious and the suicide rates are really high. And then on the other side, there's people who just, um, have, have so much anger and resentment towards, you know, the, the church and, and their families that they just remove themselves. And it was so sad to see families breaking apart on both sides of this, right? There's the families breaking due to like the depression and anxiety and, and suicide. But then there's the family breaking because people are just leaving because there was no option. And I was like, there has to be someone, there has to be something that can show that it's not one or the other. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it doesn't have to be except myself, leave the church or stay in the church, reject who I am. Right. Um, and, and I, and I knew people and I was, I felt like I was kind of that way, but we were charting this weird new territory and there was like no answers, you know? And, uh, so I prayed, I had this prayer. I was like, God, what should I do with who I am in this about this? And I just had this overwhelmingly strong impression that I had been given my platform as Cosmo so that I could help with these two problems and, and, you know, be a point of reference for someone who's going through the same thing and also help increase understanding with my religious community. So families can know how to better support and accept um, LGBTQ youth. And that's why I didn't make my goals. (laughs) (laughs) You you know, it's an interesting thing to recognize that, you know, just to reiterate the title of of your book, Without the Mask, Coming Out and Coming into God's Light is a Deseret Book book. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that even a decade ago, 15 years ago, 10, you know, 
five years ago, maybe that this would be something that, you know, the publishing arm of the church would, would be behind. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe I don't give the church enough credit, but I mean, it certainly is a journey. I think that the church is, a is undergoing in, you know, in the 21st century and, and to be a part of it, to be a, a pioneer, if you'll forgive the, the, the church terminology, but being okay. able to lead out, uh, you know, in cooperation with the church. Some would say that there, that the, the church doesn't allow you to be fully who you are, that there is some sort of issue of celibacy that you have to adhere to within it. What would you say to those critics? No, I say that I live the way I feel called to live. And I think that everyone should live the way they feel called to live. I'm very big on personal revelation and that God leads us. And that's really all I'm doing. You know, I'm really not trying to be a poster child. I never, right. I hope that never anybody says, Hey, look what Charlie Bird's doing. You should be like him because, because you shouldn't be like me because I'm the only one who needs to be like me, you know? Mm-hmm. But uh, I think I, I have, in order for me to truly be authentic, I have to accept my orientation and my identity and I have to accept my, my faith simultaneously. And I truly believe that being gay and being a child of God, both wholly occupy the same space. And so I just try to make sure that I'm sitting in that space because that's who I am. I'm sure you get a million people that ask you, do you about future of church and speculation of those things? What, what, uh-huh. when you get asked that question, what's your response? It's the same thing. You know, I'm, I'm going to pray about it. And I fully believe that God has, has the power to lead me to where I need to be. And that might look different in different phases of my life. And I've seen that in my, in the past, it has looked different in different phases of my life. Um, but then again, like I just said, every time I set a goal or make a plan, <laughs> it just completely shatters. You know, yeah. my original plan was to marry a woman and, and have kids, but that didn't work. And then my other plan was to never tell anyone I was gay publicly or Cosmo and that didn't work. So I try not to box myself in in the future and just make sure that day by day I'm seeking personal revelation and keeping my covenants to the best of my abilities and making sure that I'm standing in holy places and I trust that God will lead me to the place where I need to be. Just for fun, let's make plans for you. Just oh, so no. <laughs> no, we're not going to? No? Okay. All right. Uh, it, it's worth picking up a couple other things. Um, I mentioned the book. People can get it. Uh, it it's uh, out the 27th of July uh, yeah. from Deseret Book. People can pick it up. Uh, you can get both a digital version as well as uh, the uh, paperback version for just thirteen dollars and fifty nine cents for crying out loud. You yeah, also on the pre sale though. As of the twenty seventh, there's no more fifteen percent off. Oh, oh, okay. Good to note. Good to note. Uh, you also have a podcast, Questions from the Closet. Uh, tell yeah. me, tell me briefly about that. Yeah, I do Questions from the Closet with my good friend Ben Shalati. He's an administrator at BYU, and he's also openly gay and active member of the church. Um, we started this podcast because we we did this panel once. Um, it, it was actually when I was working with the administration a couple of years ago, my senior year. We did an LGBTQ um, same-sex attraction panel, and people submitted questions, and we had uh, different people up there answering them. And we were thinking about, you know, how could we make it to where everyone has access to that? Um, and how could we, like someone who's not ready to have a conversation or isn't quite comfortable, what could we, what sort of resource would help them feel like they're able to have their questions answered that maybe they're not comfortable asking? Hmm. 
So um, we took a, a large poll of um, different um, students and, and, and closeted people and compiled this list of, of most common questions. So every week we have a guest come on and we discuss the question. And I, I love it. I think it's wonderful and I learn a lot and I'm grateful that I can add to the conversation. And I think it's a cool way to um, just build understanding. And I also love that it's set up to where other people can, like we have an email and if you have a question that you want answered, you can submit it. And we have so many questions that I'm we're sure. just- I'm sure. Yeah, it's and, been really great. And does it run like how I think where every week it's just one question, like I'm, I need to tell my parents, but I'm afraid because they are very conservative and when they talk about homosexuality with other people, they speak very negatively about it. Like, what should I do? Like, it, and then that the entirety of that episode would address kind yeah, of how exactly. to do that. Okay. Yeah, perfect. Each episode is one question and we try to keep them pretty short so they're palatable, you know, mm -hmm. easy to consume about 30 minutes. Uh, and then you've got the book, obviously, and you'll probably do some signings and tour a little bit with a book in a COVID, uh, post-COVID, semi-COVID pandemic kind of thing. Uh, what, yeah. What's the plan beyond that? Um, honestly, plans kind of pending on that. Um, I'm going to do as many book signings and events as I possibly can, given the current circumstances. Would you ever so, become a professional mascot, not just the collegiate? Um, I don't know. I'm actually going back to get a d degree in social work. Um, I'm trying to get certified as a licensed clinical therapist. So I'm starting my master's program and I'm going to be on the cheer squad at BYU. So I'm kind of switching it up. Um, now I'm going to perform with without the mask. <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. Like, I guess I'd be down for it. Um, I'm never going to say no if anyone's listening who Yeah, listen. Listen, you could be the uh Philadelphia Fanatic. That's a pretty cool costume or mm -hmm. uh you know, I'm trying to think of uh, other ones that might be kind of fun. Well, people always say that I should be the Jazz Bear. Yeah? But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the I know the Jazz Bear and he's one of my buddies and I can't take his job. Yeah, he's no, better. You... Honestly, he's better than me. <laughs> And I think you have to have, like, when you start to get into some of those uh, mascot jobs, you sort of have to not want to live, I feel like. Because, like, when they're, you know, when they're jumping from the the high level of the stadium or, you know, riding flame-throwing motorcycles, like, some of that stuff, I'm just like, that's cool, but also, no thanks. <laughs> well, that stuff kind of gets me excited. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah it does. You're like jumping off the stadium. I'm like, hmm, that sounds fun. You know, I think of uh, I think of other um, sort of uh, folks that we've had in in the cultural hall who find themselves in in a similar situation um, as you. Like, I think of um, why can't I remember his name? Tom. His brother is an apostle. Why can't Tom Christopherson? Yeah, Tom Christopherson, and yeah. and and other folks. I know we've had Kendall Wilcox, who used to work at BYU. He he's also um, you know, out and, and tries to advocate for LGBTQ men and women. Do you, do you find yourself uh, being in touch with a lot of those individuals sort of as support and mentors and that kind of stuff? Yeah, definitely. In fact, we had Tom Christopherson on our podcast last week and we're releasing it soon. So, uh, it's what I, what I've learned about the, the LDS LGBTQ like crossover community 
is it's tight knit and everyone just wants to support and help each other in their own path. And I think that's really beautiful. Um, There's definitely people who choose different things and you know, what's best for some is not necessarily what's best for others, but it's, it's really cool how there's so many people who are willing to reach out and support others, even, even perfect strangers. You know, when I came into this community, nobody knew who I was. I was just some random kid that had been to a pride march in DC, you know, (laughs) But I, I felt people reach out and, um, you know, the, this charity, this selflessness, this this belonging. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I know both of those people and I think they're great. Yeah. Uh, Questions from the Closet is the name of the podcast. The name of the book is Without the Mask. Make sure you get it as soon as possible and check it out. Read about Charlie Bird and uh, be able to reach out with him. If it's a uh, reach out and chat with him, if you've got questions if you've got uh, if you've got things that you could uh, use being able to share with with another individual who I would imagine that even without the podcast, if someone reached out and said, hey, Charlie, I'm having a rough time. Could you help me out? I would imagine you are the kind of person who would be like, of course, I try. I do the best that I can. Yeah. I get quite a few messages. Um, so sometimes I just like share resources, but I, I do the best that I can to keep up with everyone. So. Yeah. We ask three questions of everyone who steps into the cultural hall. I'll ask those of you now. The first question is, is do you have a calling right now? And if so, what is it, sir? I don't know. It's COVID. Yeah. <laughs> so technically my records are in the Manhattan YSA ward. And I was the second uh, counselor in the elders quorum. But I got stuck in Salt Lake when everything with coronavirus started. Because um, I was here for a meeting with my publisher. And so, like, I don't really know. Yeah. But. Yesterday, I bust and passed the sacrament for my apartment, so that's my calling. There it is. You are you are the uh, you are the priest of your apartment. There it is. Right. Uh, if you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? Am I allowed to say Relief Society president? Sure, bring it. <laughs> I just think it's every time I've ever seen Relief Society, it's like decorated so well, and they have like I just like that. But then again, I don't know. The, the, I don't. Listen, that's a weird. Thing to say. No, I don't think so. I, I'll be honest with you, though. I've never had anyone say uh, the cross gender positions. And listen, I'm for it. I would. Lo- <laughs> I would love to have a uh, a female elders quorum president. I just want to decorate the elders quorum. Yeah. I want to be elders quorum uh, decorator. Make and maybe like fashion consultant. Sure. No, I'm changing my mind. I'm changing my mind. I want, I hope I don't get pushed back for this. I want to design the Tabernacle Choir's dresses. Right. Okay. So to be fair, because I have, I have come to bat for Mac Wilberg and other folks. You know why they are the way they are, right? Well, maybe you can educate me. Yeah. Listen, prepare to be educated, Charlie Bird. They have to be that way because they can't. Like they can't be more flattering for one body type than for another. So it has to be okay. like general canvas. So it's an uh, equality issue. Yeah, it, it re- I mean, it really is. So I when, when, when I was in high school, um, we, I, was, I was part of a choir and the women's costumes were essentially um, what used to be the Mormon Tabernacle Choir dresses, right? And the women hated them. But here was the deal. They all looked, they all looked equally... Beautiful, beautiful or non-beautiful, right? They just they just sort of looked as they were, but they looked professional. They looked put together. There wasn't, you know, 
one woman's decolletage was more pronounced than someone else's. Like they just were all like, you know, it 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 isn't about what they're wearing; it's about what they were singing. And and so, so I well, take umbrage with that, sir. Well, I will say that you're very diplomatic, and I appreciate it. Yeah, uh, and and dudes were just lucky because it's like, what do we wear, right? Yeah. We wear a tux or we wear a suit. Done. Okay. Uh, The last question that we ask everyone, and I ask you to interpret it however you will, but the question remains, what is your favorite part of your faith? My favorite part about my faith is that it grows in unexpected ways. Um, Well, I guess maybe I'd rephrase that. That My favorite part of my faith is that I feel like I've gone to a place where I allow it to grow in unexpected ways. And that leads to new opportunities and new abilities to serve different people. And I've seen a lot of blessings from being comfortable when faith comes out of like, um, like, like this black and white area and starts navigating more ambiguous spaces um, where I really have to rely on my belief set and scriptures and study and prayer and God. Um, And yeah, so yeah, that's my favorite part about my faith. Well, we hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you will be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you will be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall.